0: Jesus is indeed Lord. One of the challenges of Christmas for a pastor is what are you going to say after Christmas Eve? (laughs) Didn't you already say it last night? Well, the message is the same. The message of Christ does not change at all. And we are not at liberty to fiddle with it, to uh, do what we want with it. The message is the message. So tonight, today, we'll hear about the beauty of Christmas in three words. The beauty of Christmas in three words. Our text is found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I'd ask you to turn there, stand with me, we'll pray, and we'll see what God says to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are Lord. Amen. You are Lord at your birth, you are Lord before your birth, you are Lord At your ascension, and your Lord at your return, for your word tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, everyone will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray, Lord, that we have this side, willingly, of our own will, have determined to call you Lord. And I pray, Lord, if there are any here today who have not, that today would be the day of salvation for them. So, Father, we ask that you open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our minds to hear and understand your words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When we look at Christmas, we look at various nativity scenes, We see a lot of really bad theology, and I'm not trying to be a Grinch here, but it's just horrible theology, most nativity scenes, because none of it's in Scripture, except Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That's it. That's what we do know. But what are the facts of Christmas? What are the facts of Christmas? Instead of harping on what's wrong, what are the facts of Christmas? The fact is, Christ came at just the right time. Christ came at just the right time. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Born at just the right time. We know historically that Jesus was born during the Roman Empire. for the Bible tells us, as we saw in our text for last night, In Luke chapter 2, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinerius was governor of Syria. The facts are that the birth of Christ and Jesus himself is historically verifiable. Historically verifiable. As I've said many times, your Bible is the most accurate history book you have. The most accurate history book you have is the word of God, because everything that is in it is true. Jesus came at just the right time because God said it was the time, but it was also a time in which God set up the world so that there was one government, one currency, and one language, or one trade language. It was the optimal time in human history for which the Son of God to be born, and it was into this world, the incarnation comes. Mary, when she was visited by the angel, asked her, how is this going to happen? How am I going to have a child? And in Luke one thirty five, we read, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So very important that Jesus is born holy, perfect. As we said last night, if it was between Joseph and Mary, there would be no chance for redemption because Jesus would be stained with sin. But as it is, the power of the Most High overshadowed her. And she bore a son. A Holy Son, the Son of God. Born, as Galatians four says, born of a woman, born under the law. You ever wondered what that means? Born under a time when to have a right relationship with God, you had to meet God's requirements, the law. You had to keep perfectly the Ten Commandments. In our study of Exodus, we've seen that Nobody gets past commandment number one. We're doomed right off. Right from the start, we're doomed. And then we get maybe a little bit hopeful, a little bit further down, well, they've never stolen. And then I say, well, I've never stolen. But you know what? And then I remember that time I stole a, 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 a pack of striped gum from a and And my mom made me go back to the manager and apologize, right? Dang it, I got caught, right? I've stolen. I've lied. You've done it. We've all done it. None of us can meet God's holy demands and only the God man could fulfill God's requirements so important that Jesus was born of a woman born under the law conceived by the Holy Spirit the incarnation if you know Paul says that the resurrection is everything well the the Incarnation is everything, too, because without the incarnation, there could be no resurrection. Jesus says that the reason he came was not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You know, when we read Scripture, we pay attention to the words. When Jesus says, I have come for this reason, I have, this is why I've come. I've come to do this, or the Scripture tells us why Jesus come. That's why Jesus has come. Not just a feel-good story that we have for a day or two uh, uh, in the year. But there was a holy God who had holy requirements. And man was unholy and could not fulfill God's requirements. Matter of fact, man was uh, uh, very apt at breaking God's commandments. And there was a disconnect. There was a problem, a separation. And God, in His great love for man, said, I'm not going to let that separation stand. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to draw man near. I'm going to draw near to man so that he can draw near to me. And so just at the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, so important. For Jesus says, I have come. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, the real meaning of Christmas is not found in the birth of Christ alone. The real meaning of Christmas is found in the totality of the life of Jesus. Every aspect of his life, from beginning to end, is the Christmas story. This is the truth of Christmas. Remember when Jesus was before Pilate. Jesus tells very clearly why he was born. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth, everyone who was tr- who who of the truth listens to my voice. And we sit back reading that And we say of Pilate, what an opportunity for Pilate. Pilate blew it. What is truth? Not in a, what is truth? I want to know what is truth. (laughs) What is truth? There's no such thing as truth. This whole trial itself is not even true. It's a sham. He knew it. Jesus says, I have come for the very purpose I was born to bear witness to the truth. So what is the truth of Christmas? She was told, in Matthew chapter one, she will bear a son, and he will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The truth of Christmas is that Jesus came to save people from their sins. The truth of Christmas is that you are a sinner and I am a sinner. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, because of our willful sin, that there's a cost attached to it and the cost is death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not a popular message today. Many churches, you won't hear that said. They'll tell you that you're basically good. And God understands. He gets us. And God doesn't get us. Does He relate to us? Absolutely. Is He sympathetic to us? Yes. But above all else, God is just. God is just. God will uphold his holy law. The demands of holiness must be met. You and I cannot meet the demands of holiness. We are hopelessly stuck in our sin. As Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Or later on, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Well, that's the truth of Christmas. That's the truth of our state. That's the truth of why Christmas is here, of why Jesus was born. It's because of that truth. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came, again, he tells us why he came into the world, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is my mission. This is why I'm here. The prophets had told us this long time ago, already told the Jewish people this. In Isaiah 59, verse 16 to 20, we read this. This is God. He's looking down on the earth. He's seeing the affairs of men. He sees the estate of men. He saw that they were lost and stuck in their sins and their trespasses without hope and without God in the world. And the prophet writes this because God said, this is what you are to write. He saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and from his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion. Those in Jacob who turned from transgression declares the Lord. Prophet Isaiah told us that God saw our state, that we were unable to save ourselves. And so he wrapped himself in righteousness. And therefore, it's all the more important that he was born of a woman, born under the law. And now we understand why Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law, to procure righteousness for those who put their faith in him. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We saw this last night. We're going to see it again today. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. You make a practice of sinning. Do I make a practice of sinning? I mean, I mean do we sin? Yes. Do I practice it? Do I willfully do it? Do I not care if I sin or not? Do I not repent? The Bible says then you're of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you want to be destroyed? Keep sinning. Keep willfully sinning and you will be destroyed. Stop. And Jesus will destroy sin and not you. Hebrews 2 tells us this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps. They don't need help. They don't need to be saved. That's why angels long and wonder and look into salvation. What is this thing? Because they cannot in any way relate. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, Jesus really doesn't want you to be destroyed. He wants to save you. He wants you to turn from your sin. He says, I understand you can't live up to the demands of holiness. You can try, but you'll never do it. And that's why it is so utterly important at the Last Supper, where Jesus took the bread, and listen to what he says, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. My perfect Sinless life, I lived for you. If you put your faith in me, my righteousness becomes your righteousness. Jesus' joy or the joy of Jesus himself, Jesus' joy is culminated in three words. It is finished. You ever think of that? Really? Wasn't he just in the garden saying, God, if the, if Father, if this could pass for me, let it pass, but if not, your will be done? Yet the Bible tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus' greatest joy was to be obedient to the Father. He had no greater joy than to obey the Father, no matter what the cost. What about us? What about me? Do I take joy in obedience Am I worried about what someone else is going to say or think? Jesus' joy was found in obedience. It is finished. It's the Greek word to die," which means it is finished. It's found in John 19:30. Jesus has been scourged. He's carried the cross. Or partly carried the cross, and they made someone else carry it for him. He's been nailed to the cross. He's been hanging on the cross for quite some time. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirits. The Bible tells us that as soon as he did that, there was a massive earthquake within the world that many people came out of the graves. Many righteous people came out of the graves. Something happened. it translated into the physical world. We know that when Jesus said, it is finished, the Bible tells us that in the temple, the curtain that stood between the inner sanctuary and the holy of holies, the holy place and the holy of holies, that curtain was torn in two. And we know that behind that curtain is the mercy seat, of which once a year the high priest would go with a go with a bowl of blood, and he would dip his finger and he would sprinkle it on top of that mercy seat to receive forgiveness of sins for the children of Israel. But as soon as he sprinkled the blood, as soon as he was done, sin had to be toned for again. Hebrews tells us that they would have to do it continuously, day after day, hour after hour, but now Christ has appeared and once for all made a sacrifice for sins. Once for all. And so when that Temple was torn. The temple veil was torn. All the demands of holiness were met in Christ. The demands of holiness are satisfied. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them in the open shame by triumphing over them in him. The law stood against us. But Jesus was born at just the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, and He has taken the law and its regulations which stood against us, and He nailed them to the cross. In Christ, the demands of holiness are satisfied, and because the demands of holiness are satisfied, in Christ, we have peace with God. Ephesians tells us, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, And he came and he preached to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. Peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How great is our God that he would draw us near to him. In Christ, we have right now hope. Right now, hope. Right now, help. Right now. In Christ, we have a right now, help. The psalmist tells us God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Well, that sounds like something I'd be afraid of. But God is our present help, our refuge now. Because the greatest threat, his holiness, has been satisfied. Let the earth tremble. Let the earth roar. Let the sea foam. It doesn't matter. Because my soul, if I'm in Christ Jesus, is safely within the hand of God himself. Jesus has also told us told the disciples, and therefore us, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have right now help because we are, if we're in Christ Jesus, we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, from whom you have from God? You are not your own. We have right now help, not only because the demands of holiness have been met. Justice has been meted out. Our sin has been imputed to Christ and His righteousness to us, and He helps us right here, right now. And because we have the Holy Spirit, but He also helps us out in that He gives us peace that is beyond all understanding. It is only the people of Christ that can have peace when the earth is giving way, when the sea is roaring. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. He's right now. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have the peace of God today? Is your heart and your mind guarded? In Christ, we have the hope of heaven itself. Peter writes this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may not be found, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." We're all going to die one day. Hey, that's a great Christmas message. Thank you. But it's true. It's 100%, right? Guaranteed 100% you're going to die. That is, unless Christ returns before you die. But Jesus has promised that He's going to bring us to Himself. Even that, He's going to bring heaven to us. Revelation tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Jesus' joy is found in three words. The joy of Christmas for us. The joy of Christmas for us is found in one word. Repent. Repent. You want the joy of Christmas? Do you have the joy of the incarnate God coming into time and space, repent. Turn from your sins. Turn from death into the living God. Jesus, when he began his ministry, began with the word, repent. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The birth of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven has entered time and space. Jesus was born of a virgin, born of a woman, born under the law to fulfill the demands of the law so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you have the real joy of Christmas today? Are you looking more forward to going home and opening up gifts and eating a good meal than you are to the fact that heaven will be your forever home? I'm not trying to be... That's a great question to ask ourselves. What gives me real joy? What do I ponder and treasure in my heart? Am I looking forward to the day of which Christ returns? Or do I, out of desperation, because life is so bad, just say, come quickly, Lord. That's okay, too. Jesus says, repent. I would ask you today, and I would ask myself, have you really repented? Have you really turned from your sins to the living God who loved you and gave himself for you? This is the real message of Christmas. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the promise of Genesis 3.15, that the serpent's head is crushed. Peter, in preaching the first sermon, they asked, what will we do? Peter says this, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Are you in life right now just overwhelmed with life? Do you feel no joy, no peace? Do you feel no heaviness and a weightiness? You feel a hopelessness? Have things happened in your life that just cause you to feel weight and joylessness? Perhaps, loved ones, you need to repent. Perhaps. Does that mean everything that Jesus comes to make your life better? No. Because if Jesus come to make your life better, he really failed at making his life better, didn't He? He's come that you would have life and life everlasting. We live in a world which says do whatever you want. Live whichever way you want. Indulge in whatever you want. That's exactly what's going on. We live in the time of the judges. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. It is just perverse. It's wicked in every way. It brings no joy. Repentance brings joy. Repentance brings joy. And when we repent and we receive the joy of Christ, we receive the forgiveness of sins, and then we'll rejoice like the shepherds, we'll have a peace that passes all understanding. Jesus came, I have come that they may have life, and have life everlasting. Do you have the joy of Christmas today? It's my hope and my prayer that you do. It's my hope and my prayer that as you leave today, as you go to friend's house, you go to neighbor's house, that if anybody were asked what is Christmas all about, that you don't put on the peanuts and say well, as Linus tells us, tell them Christmas is all about One born of a woman, born under the law, so that the righteous requirements of God would be met and that through repentance, times of refreshing would begin. May that be our message. Let it be our joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in you, there is fullness of joy. Oh, Father, help us to be joyful. Help us, Lord God, to treasure and to ponder in our heart all that God has done for us, all that God has done in Christ Jesus for us, that all your righteous requirements, all your demands of holiness are satisfied in Christ and applied to us. And So, Father, help us Help us to be joyful. Help us to be glad. I will rejoice and be glad in God, my Savior. Help us, Lord. We need it. We need it for the sake of Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Let's call. Are we going to close on a song? No? God bless you all. Have a great and blessed Christmas and share the joy of Christmas. God bless you all.